Hello and welcome to Mountain State Views. I'm your host, Stephen Allen Adams. I am the state government reporter for Ogden Newspapers in West Virginia. That's the Parkersburg News and Sentinel, the Wheeling Intelligencer and News Register, the Weirton Daily Times, the Intermountain and Elkins, and the Journal in Martinsburg. Thank you for joining me today. And today we wrap up our four-part series on the top four Republican candidates for governor. We've already heard from Delegate Moore Capito. We have heard from automobile dealer Chris Miller. We've heard from Secretary of State Mac Warner. And now you are about to hear from Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. Now finishing up his third term first elected in 2012 as Attorney General. Really one of the first Republicans, at least on the state level, not counting congressional, to to get into public office even before the Republicans took the majority in the legislature in 2015, even before all the Board of Public Works offices went Republican in 2020 with the election of State Treasurer Riley Moore. So he he has what you would call seniority to, to some extent. He's got a lengthy career as a lobbyist. He's been a congressional lawyer and you're about to hear from him now. Again, this is our series where we asked all four of these candidates the same eight public policy questions. They all got the same eight questions. Now, of note, and just full disclaimer here, this is kind of done in two parts because the Attorney General and I were able to talk at the Greenbrier when he was speaking to the West Virginia Coal Association, but we got cut short. So he answered the first three questions of the eight questions in this series, and then we had to reschedule and do this a few weeks later to do the remaining eight questions. But I want to stress again, each candidate got the same questions, and all these were recorded first before we started publishing this series, both in podcast form and in print form. That way, no candidate has heard their each other's answers to these questions. So they're all in the blind. It's the way I wanted to keep it. I thought that would be a smart way to do it. So without further ado, let me present to you Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, thank you for joining me here from the Greenbrier. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, We're here for the Coal Association meeting and looking forward to this conversation. Very good. Well, you've been in office since 2012. You're one of the first Republicans to get back into the Board of Public Works in in decades, maybe, you know, 80 some years since the probably uh, before the Depression, probably. So, but, you know, Republicans have really come forward a lot. Legislative majority, we do have a Republican governor. We've got a lot of accomplishments that have happened over the last few years. I know that you want to build off those accomplishments, but you also want to do things on your own, things that you've always wanted to do. So as the next governor, if you are the next governor, how do you build off the successes that have been happening over the last few years while making your own mark? Well, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to the uh, folks across West Virginia, uh, because this is an opportunity. This campaign is an opportunity to really help West Virginia move to the next level. I've always been very fond of saying that we need to make West Virginia that shining state in the mountains because it's amazing on all levels. It's a beautiful state. We all live here. We love it very much. I think that we have a high-quality workforce who can compete in the modern economy, and we're strategically located. We're within 10 hours of 180 million people. But there's still challenges facing the state, and these are significant issues that have to be overcome to allow West Virginia to rise up in the economic rankings and be the place that really competes and defeats all the states around us. So a lot of the things that I want to really zero in and focus on, we'll start with workforce participation. Right now, 
according to some statistics, we have about 65,000 open jobs here in West Virginia. We need to fill those. But it's going to take someone with deep experience and a record of getting really big things done in order to move the needle. These are not easy issues. They've been intractable for a long period of time. West Virginia has been the lowest workforce participation state. Uh, we need to change the mindset of how we handle this. Here's how we're going to do it. Number one, we're actually going to uh, do a lot more comparisons of all the states that we touch from a regulatory, from a workforce, from a licensing standard perspective, and from a tax perspective. And we're going to try to pick the best of all of the policies and drive them through. And that's going to put West Virginia in a place where it's more free. And I think it's going to have the economic policies that can compete with the Pennsylvanias, with the Ohios, with the Kentuckys, with the Virginias, and all of our surrounding states. That's certainly really critical. So we're going to have to focus a lot more on that issue. Um, there's been progress made, certainly in terms of bringing new jobs uh, to West Virginia. I applaud those efforts, but we have to uh, unopen the potential here in West Virginia. And that means looking to be more aggressive from a regulatory perspective and changing some of the licensing rules to place people better in those jobs. We also need to make sure that we're tackling our education challenges head on. I would say we should drive further with money following the child in terms of educational attainment. But we also have to recognize that not everyone is going to go to college. What does that mean? We need to be even more proactive in building out VOTEC educational opportunities, apprenticeships and partnerships with companies so that West Virginians know they're going to have huge job opportunities for them. Uh, the last number of years, I've gone to Boys State and I've gone to Girls State. One of the things that I always took away is I would ask two questions. First question would be, how many people here in this room want to go to college? Virtually everyone would raise their hands. Then I would ask the next question, how many people think that there's going to be a job opportunity available for them? And most of the people wouldn't raise their hands. Wow. We have to change that mindset here in West Virginia. And one of the ways we do that is start these apprenticeships and the VOTEC and signal um, early on in a child's life. So for high school and obviously for college and for the opportunities to build out those partnerships. So that's going to be big. Um, I mentioned also the comparison shopping. We need to have comprehensive tax and regulatory reform, which means stack all the policies up against each other and then have the legislature and the governor working together on a common agenda pick the best policies. When we do that and we better market the available jobs, I think we could make huge progress in that area. Obviously, there's a lot to do in West Virginia to help the state reach her potential. I mentioned workforce participation, educational attainment, um, but there are also existing challenges to protect current jobs. Mm -hmm. Right now, the EPA, we're here at a coal conference. Uh, we're, the EPA is going after our vital energy jobs in a way that would cripple the state of West Virginia. We have to recognize that we need someone strong in place who knows how to fight and keep the existing jobs. If we add all these new jobs, but we lose the current ones, we're in a pretty bad position. So as the state's next governor, we're going to have strategies to be able to keep those current jobs and continue the vigilance that you've seen that I've had in job protection. Not only having an attorney general that's going to be very aggressive on this, but bring the whole 
part of state government from a legal, a policy, an economic, and a political perspective on job retention here in West Virginia. So um, there are a lot of things that I'm eager to do as the state's uh, next governor, but certainly there are a lot of uh, items on the list that would allow our state to succeed. Next question, and you kind of answered this a little bit, so yeah. uh, if you want to expound on it, you can. But a lot of the things you're talking about, there is sort of a core problem in the state, and it's a problem that kind of transcends political parties. It's it's really kind of baked in to some extent, and that's our poverty rate. And it really kind of feeds into a lot of our problems, whether you're talking about jobs, education, whether you're talking about substance use. It really is sort of like the core at, of everything. So how do you as the next governor make a dent in some of those poverty statistics, especially for children? Yeah, I, I think that we always need to be mindful that we have to lift people up to give everyone an opportunity. And uh, when I grew up, I spent a lot of time studying what Jack Kemp was doing in terms of uh, opportunity zones and empowerment, because you're uh, the right type of society when you're trying to give everyone a fair shake at the outset. That's why the educational system is so important, because if everyone has the ability to succeed from an educational perspective, there's no stopping how far that they can go. Right. So I think that education has to remain a very high priority. We have to drive those educational attainment rates much higher, just even from a reading perspective and driving the numbers up compared to a lot of the states that we touch and nationally, reading and math and STEM. I think that that has to be a big focus. If you have an educated uh, population, that is one of the the most important determinants in terms of uh, poverty. So I, I think that has to be a big part of this. But second, I think that we need to dramatically reform our tax system here in West Virginia. Uh, I know that Originally, the tax system was built upon an, an old agrarian and coal yeah. mining economy, but that's not what we're looking at in the modern world. We have to certainly strongly maintain the existing jobs that we have, uh, but we have to compete better and attract more people to West Virginia because those economic opportunities, uh, if they come through, they're going to be able to lift that standard of living up uh, for too long. People put walls up and said, no, we don't want people to come to West Virginia. We need to be uh, competing to get the best and brightest minds to stay in West Virginia and also to come here uh, to our state. Speaking of taxes, let's talk about the budget real quick. As the yep. governor, you're going to set the revenue estimates. You're going to hand the legislature the budget. We've seen record-breaking tax revenue surpluses. A lot of that's been because of low revenue estimates, combined with some natural growth and tax uh, tax revenue and that sort of thing. As the governor, as the next governor, exactly how are you going to handle the budget? Are you going do it the same way? Or are you going to revamp how we come up with budgets and revenue estimates to make sure we're spending what we bring in? And also, if we are bringing in too much, whether like you talked about, yeah, well, tax cuts. Well, first of all, I'd like to get rid of the income tax in the state. And so I know that that's going to require some very difficult challenges in terms of being able to make the math work. But we have to do something bold to make sure that we're going to be able to attract people here. But the mechanism that we're going to be able to, to uh, adjust the budget my goal would be to be very clear in terms of the policies that we're trying to achieve within the budget and then also invite the legislature in so we can have a unified agenda to make this happen. All right. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, thank you for rejoining me again. We had to uh, get through the first three questions and then we rescheduled. And this is us coming back together to, to finish the uh, remaining questions. So thank you again for giving me a little bit of your time today. Absolutely. It's great to be with you. 
I don't want to waste any more time. We're just going to go ahead and right into question number four. And it's going to deal with state personnel, state employees. And obviously, having been sure. Attorney General since 2012, you obviously manage a, a bureaucracy in your office. State employees have had at least four increases in salaries, including this year. But salaries still remain low compared to other states and neighboring states. And we're experiencing some shortages in specific fields. Certified che- teachers, for example, child protective service workers, and correct officers and employees. The legislature and the governor actually just dealt with some pay issues for correctional officers in the, in the most recent special session that they had. How does the next governor, whether that's you, uh, address these challenges, especially for border counties that compete with neighboring states for these jobs as an Eastern Panhandle uh, native over the last few years? That is something I'm sure that you have seen all over on that side of the state. A- a- absolutely. This is a huge issue. And one of the things that we need to do when I get elected as governor, is to be in a position where we're comparing all of the pay rates for every state that we touch. Earlier, I mentioned that we're going to look at all the tax rates. We're going to look at all the regulations. We're going to look at all the workforce uh, rules, the licensing rules. (coughs) Well, we also need to look at how we're competitive to attract the best and brightest for our state workforce. And we've seen uh, just intolerable numbers in terms of some of the, uh, the lack of participation in a couple key areas. And I think the legislature is beginning to change that. I think that's very, very positive. Uh, But I want to have a better sense in terms of the comparison shopping, because I've heard too many stories about the law enforcement personnel moving to Kentucky or moving to Ohio or people not being able to compete uh, because of where they're located. So we have to adjust locally, given where there's competition. I'm going to look to do that. I'm going to make sure, though, that we present all the information for all the states, for the whole public to see, so that folks understand why we have to make the changes that we are making. And I'm excited about that because that's how we're going to better compete into the future. Now, earlier in the first half of this interview, you did deal with a little bit of education. So this might be kind of retreading something you've sort of already answered, but you might be able to provide some more details. Education has long been an issue in West Virginia with some of the lowest reading and math scores in the nation. Some recent data just came out showing that our uh, proficiency rates in English language arts and math are approaching pre-pandemic levels, but they were pretty low also even before that. The legislature took some important steps this year with the passage of the Third Grade Success Act, focusing on math and phonics education and providing funding uh, for assistance in elementary school classrooms. It remains to be seen if this will be successful since we're just starting it. But as governor, how will you keep working towards improving educational attainment in West Virginia, for West Virginia's children and not just in public schools, but I believe we talked about we've got a growing right. charter school program. The Hope Scholarship uh, is just in its uh, beginning stages. So how, how do you manage uh, uh, trying to work for that? both in the public and in, in our educational choice apparatus? Well, a couple things. First, we're going to expand uh, the direction we're moving in with respect to charter schools and school choice. You saw the Hope Scholarship, but quite frankly, that had a bit of a hiccup because it was enjoined in the court system for a while. So we need to make sure that that's getting all the direct support that it needs. And I'm a believer that we should expand that. That's going to enhance the level of competition that we're seeing here in the Mountain State. Uh, so I'm a believer in Hope Scholarship, believer in charter schools, but there are going to be a lot of other things that we should do. Now, just recently, I was uh, talking with someone about education policy and talked about the importance of phonics and talking about how important it is to improve reading comprehension and some of the little things that you may not even realize. 
We need to once again look at every single standard, everything, and compare it with the other states. Mississippi uh, made some significant progress by focusing on phonics. There are other states that have done some really creative things. I want to get to the bottom of that in terms of math, in terms of science, in terms of education, reading comprehension overall, to make sure that we're reaching the highest levels. And that's got to be a high priority. Now, the next question is something you and I have talked about in your capacity as attorney general. But being the next governor, you'll be able to come at this in a different way. The drug overdose epidemic is a serious problem in West Virginia. We've seen overdose deaths peak. We've seen the numbers start to come down, but of course, they're still very, very high. We also have a situation where it's a plague in West Virginia that is affecting everyone from those suffering from addiction to their families to our public health sector. What steps need to be taken by the next governor, by you, if you get that, to help both those suffering from substance use disorder return to productive lives? And also on the other end of that, and we've talked about this as well, what can the state do on the law enforcement and legal front going forward? Absolutely. So first, I want to tell everyone that's listening that we need to build on some of the successes that we've had and the structures that are being put in place right now. With the West Virginia First Foundation, West Virginia has an opportunity to truly soar because there will, for the first time ever, not only be a plan to attack the drug epidemic, but there'll be resources attached to it as well. That's significant, but it's not going to be the cure-all for all that ails our state. We still need to be holistic in our approach to attack this from a supply, a demand, and an educational perspective. I think that West Virginia First is going to provide some of those pathways, but it's key to leverage it. As the next governor, my goal would be that we have a robust West Virginia First Foundation that can actually work hand-in-hand with the state legislature, with the private sector, with the federal government on different tools to to attack the biggest challenges on the drug side. So, for instance... We look at education and prevention. That's a huge, huge issue. I started initiating a number of the programs a number of years ago, and you've seen Game Changer and other things follow suit, but it's still just a drop in the bucket in terms of what's needed. Second, we had big law enforcement problems uh, for many, many years, especially when we stopped the trooper class. I thought that was an unmitigated disaster. And a lot of our local sheriffs and the state police are struggling to hire the law enforcement folks that they need to attack the problem of the fentanyl and these and these drugs coming in over the border. We need to be more aggressive in shutting that down in terms of drugs coming into our state. But it also means working closely with the feds because so much of the problem derives on the federal side. If you just look at the base ingredient, the fentanyl that sources from China, it comes in uh, through the ports of entry, uh, between the ports of entry. There's so many aspects of this that need to get addressed. And West Virginia has to always be thinking with three things in mind, supply, demand, education. That's what you're going to see approach-wise out of me as the state's next governor, but we're going to be building off the success of West Virginia first. West Virginia is known as a coal and natural gas state, but the legislature has worked hard over the last couple of years to make the state an all of the above energy state. We lifted the ban on nuclear energy. We have wind farms that dot a lot of our landscape in the northern part of the state. We have some utilities uh, diving into full scale solar projects on former coal ash piles and trying to utilize those spaces. And we've got Form Energy in the northern panhandle that's building uh, grid batteries that are going to be standing 
stamp of made in West Virginia and go around the country as well. We have our history and our culture with coal and natural gas, still two sources that are very much part of the baseload energy supply of this nation. But we also do have a growing clean energy and renewable energy sector as well. And it seems like West Virginia is trying to bridge bridge both of those things together. So how do you as the next governor balance West Virginia's energy past with its future? Well, first, I think we have to remember that if what the Biden administration is trying to accomplish uh, is even going to be remotely feasible by 2050, let alone 2032, which they're talking about having 67 percent of the nation's vehicles being electric. I don't think that's feasible, realistic by any means. But if you're going to move in that direction, you still need to have um, affordable baseload power. And that means there's always a role for coal and for natural gas. And to try to do it without, I think, is a fool's errand. So one of the things we're going to look to do right now, I think it's about 86% of our current energy is still derived from coal. We're in that range. We're always moving a little bit um, year to year. We have to make sure that people know if we're going to move in that direction of uh, more electric vehicles, coal needs to retain an important place. But look, natural gas has an incredible opportunity. We all just celebrated the approval of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. I think that could be a huge benefit to West Virginia, not just because of its the contractor jobs, but the local revenue, the state revenue that would come through. And most certainly, there are other opportunities as well in terms of wind and solar and water uh, because of the nature of the state that we have. But I would argue that we have to be thinking about this and do it the right manner to keep our coal and natural gas resources in place while we're identifying these new opportunities, whether it's for batteries or whether it's for a better use in terms of water and wind. And we're not going down a pathway that's actually going to be unintentionally hurting the existing baseload that we rely on. Last question, and it's going to be focused on population, and it's kind of a verbiose question, so bear with me, but West Virginia has been facing population loss for more than 50 years. Really, on the whole, it's been a consistent thing for for a long period of time. Older West Virginians, which make up really the bulk of our state population, they're, they're dying, and younger West Virginians are having fewer children. That seems to be a national trend as well. The state is seeing some major manufacturing projects coming, both requiring West Virginia work and really going to require some workers from around the nation to come here. And I would hope that some of those workers would choose to stay here. Inward migration has been trending up in the state. However, uh, West Virginia GOP Chairwoman Elgin McArdle, when asked on a recent radio program about whether some of the social, conservative, and culture war bills uh, that have been popping up over the years, whether that's driving people away, she said, quote, I don't think it necessarily excludes people. They can go to California, they can go to New York, and they can go to Chicago if they want that kind of atmosphere to live in. So uh, basically, this is a very broad question. I know you're running in the Republican primary, so you need Republican and independent votes. But if you win that, you're going to be certainly trying to earn the votes of uh, all uh, registered voters in the state in a general election. So with population shortages in our state, how do we market ourselves as a state to bring yourselves to raise your family work and also not try to push people away that might have some issues with some of the politics in the state? I know that's kind of a complicated question, but how how do we be diverse? How do we do everything we can to not only keep the people that we have, but also market ourselves to bring more people in? 
Look, I, I think that West Virginia has a lot going for it, and we have to sell what we have. This is the most beautiful state in the union. It's an amazing place. I moved here by choice. I love West Virginia. I used to hike. I used to go out into the Shenandoah River. I'd go out on a Shenandoah Lake, and I would row and uh, do my best to just take in the beautiful outdoors. There are many reasons why people want to move to West Virginia. I moved to West Virginia because I just fell in love with the beauty of the state and doing a lot of hiking and being on the outside. Eastern Panhandle is an amazing place to live. So when we're thinking about lowering more population here, we have to think about what attracts them here. Well, I would argue we need to have a very low or no income tax rate. That's going to help lure people in. We have to be known for having some of the best educational attainment policies in the nation so that people uh, that are raising their families say West Virginia is the place to be. We have to do a better job on broadband. And this has to be a place to take advantage of the post-COVID world where everyone knew that they could come to West Virginia, uh, but there were some challenges with broadband. That has to be addressed. So I would argue if you focus on the core movers that affect the state, and that's uh, the tax structure, uh, the educational system, the physical infrastructure, which is the highways, the bridges, the internet infrastructure, if you will, if you look at the healthcare, and then if you look at the culture and the physical characteristics of the state, that's how we're going to really attract people. I think all these arguments about these policy differences, you know, they're just cheap political stunts. I don't take them seriously. I think if you focus on the core issues, you know, if you build it, they will come. And we have a unique opportunity if we are really focused on lowering that income tax, dropping it out, um, focusing on education, on regulations, on the things that have made a lot of other states grow and succeed. And finally, I would add, that people shouldn't be afraid to speak their mind politically. West Virginians are independent people. I'm a proud supporter of Donald Trump, and I think that it's important that people know that, that if you want to come to a state that respects uh, more conservative thinking, I think that's great. Now, we would welcome anyone to come to West Virginia. I think that's terrific, but I think people shouldn't be afraid to speak up for West Virginia values. I'm certainly not. Very good. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Special thanks to Attorney General Patrick Morrissey for taking the time to talk to me, especially twice since we had to uh, reschedule and, and, and do this. So I know everybody is really busy right now. Everyone's trying to get to all the parades and festivals and Lincoln Day dinners and, and party picnics and things of that nature, trying to get the word out, trying to raise money. That's really a name of the game right now because at least until we get to the filing period in January, interest in these elections don't really happen until closer to the actual elections in the course. We've got the primary in May and then the general election uh, in November 2024. So we're still a ways off. But if you're someone that does care about these issues and just want to get a jump on what every candidate stands for, hopefully this interview series was helpful to you. I certainly hope it was. So with that, that is it for the series with the first top four Republican candidates for governor of West Virginia. And Mountain State Views is back and we will again start to get into interviews with politicians, lawmakers, officials, lobbyists, people that are involved in public policy, and just interesting people just talking about West Virginia politics and 
how we uh, how they want the how they see the future of West Virginia and where they want things to go. So I'm looking forward to having those conversations, and I really hope you're looking forward to listening to them as well. Once again, I stress: please tell a friend about this show and like and rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I produce this all myself, with special thanks to Ogden Newspapers for allowing me to be able to do this and providing the support needed to do this sort of thing. So again, until next week, enjoy the view. 